Yeah, good afternoon and welcome to the Emerging Tech Series on the Leadership and Insurance Podcast. I'm your host, Gavin Savage, and on this podcast, we bring together technologists from the world of InsureTech to generate insights around the rapidly evolving innovation across the landscape. The insurance industry is in the midst of tech innovation from likes of cyber to Internet of Things and AI to connected insurance, and this podcast aims to showcase the exciting movements we're seeing today. And today I'm joined by a true technology leader, um, someone who embodies versatility, adaptability, and an unwavering focus on startup scalability and, and hyper growth. With a diverse range of experiences, having navigated through multiple startups and led their very own successful startup as a founder, I'm very lucky to be joined by Alejandro from Hometree. Alejandro, welcome. How are you doing? Hello. Hello, Gavin. Very good, thanks. Very good. Thank you for having me here. No, thank you. It's great to, to have you on as a guest. Obviously, we've known each other off camera for, for quite a while now. So this is really fun and exciting to um, to get to do this with you. So thanks for, for agreeing to do it after me pestering you for months and months. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I just thought, you know, traditionally at the start of these, um, it's just always nice to have a bit of an introduction. You know, I appreciate it. I gave you a brief one there, but it would just be great to start off with a little bit about you, a little bit about your background, your career journey, and really just an overview of, of your journey into the world of tech, you know, and we can we can go from there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, let me do it in a chronological order. Yeah. So basically, I am from Spain. My accent probably <laughs> already told you that. Um, <laughs> it's a, in a small city called Salamanca that is on the west of Madrid. And I studied uh, computer science. I was coding uh, since school. Um, and then I've been with computers basically all my life. I started working in, in Spain, uh, kind of always uh, with uh, startups. So I did video games uh, for mobile phones. Then I was for some time in venture capital. And then I've been more focused on, on infrastructure and on scalability, basically. So around eight years ago, I came to London and I've been working on, yeah, startups mostly. So that's been in advertisement, transport, telcos, and, and so on. At the beginning, uh, scalability and reliability engineer um, with uh, teams, and then uh, more as a head of engineering um, and recently as a director of engineering, uh, basically putting together the engineering teams. Um, at the moment, I'm working at HomeTree, uh, where we do home insurances. So basically, we focus on the heating elements of the home, but we also cover uh, some other things, electrics, um, drains, and some other things. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you for that. Perfect. And and I think just probably expanding on a little bit kind of bigger picture on home tree and um, just to start off for, for the audience that they probably don't know too much about um the challenger brand in the space but you know essentially just wanted to get it from from your side you know who are home tree and and i guess what is the what is the mission you know absolutely well home tree is a company that started around uh seven years ago um at the beginning uh was more in the installation business um it has always been linked to the decarbonization of the home in uk that's basically the the vision is to decarbonize the home in uk that has always been the case 
Now, the how to achieve that has been changing over time. So at the beginning, it was about installing hardware. Um, basically, if you have a boiler that is not very efficient, it's old and so on, um, it, it will not be efficient burning. So just by upgrading, um, you will have a reduction on the CO2 emissions. Now, um, over time, the company has been um, pivoting and then uh, it became home services. So the maintenance of those uh, boilers and other uh, heating elements, and then expanding the rates of products uh, going into, well, as we say, electrics and things like that. Um, we became an insurance company later. We have our own network of engineers at the moment. We have our own platform. Um, and now we are basically scaling up. Amazing. Yeah, it's, um, and I think just uh, it's a really great example of that that embedded insurance model that we that we see. And, you know, so ultimately the business model includes home cover insurance as well as financing for decarbonisation services. I find it really interesting that you have your own. I was wondering that before the episode, you know, how you service that, you know, how you provide that, that service, i.e. do you, you know, subcontract out to you know, maybe maybe yours and British gas engineers don't know, but the whole point is your challenger. So it's really interesting that you have your own network of engineers and your own platform. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a journey uh, to go for it, actually. Um, creating our own network is uh, started basically almost three years ago. Um, and then, so at the beginning, we were uh, doing it through another company. So we started being being able to service those homes. Um, that was expensive, not very flexible. We were not in, a, in total control of our destiny, basically. Um, things that are very important to us, like the service that we offer our customers, uh, was difficult to, to control and to maintain. Uh, so we decided to start having the engineers uh, working for us directly. Uh, that the well that involves quite a big change on the um, platform on the well on the technology that we are using uh we have to be able mm -hmm. to synchronize suddenly with quite a lot of people uh while before it was just uh big partners and now it's a lot of smaller uh business owners or small companies that are doing services also with us mm. yeah no it's it's really cool and and how have you, I guess, is the, you know, the main point of contact within technology throughout this whole journey, which again, you've just, you know, it's been quite a journey as you've touched on, like, how have you as a technology leader at Home Tree found integrating that technology with such a traditional insurance model and in, in what is, you know, residential energy cover, you know, across the UK and Europe? How have you found integrating tech with that? Well, that um, that is interesting uh, because there are, from my point of view, there are kind of two big different speeds on here. Is like mm -hmm. the traditional one, the how the industry goes uh, with all of the different, um, well, with FCA, all the certifications, all of the regulation. You have to, everything has to be validated, content has to be validated, uh, and all of that. And then there is also the very agile tech way of doing things. The they go very, very fast, uh, try things very quick, iterate very quickly, and so on. So you have to put these two worlds together, and that's not always easy. Um, actually, at some point, we had the problems that we actually just go too fast sometimes. 
and, mm. and, and, and it's really difficult to put these two things together. Um, for me, has been also very internal learning. Um, I'm coming from the world of uh, deploy as fast as possible, scale this thing as fast as possible, iterate very, very quickly. Um, and suddenly you have to slow down a little bit sometimes. Uh, so basically we maintain internally the, that pace of, of development, but when we interface with the external world, let's say with things that are outside of, of, of the pure development and product, um, then you need to start having some uh, some dates, some agreements, uh, some well, you have to start speaking the same language as the as the people you are interacting with. Um, so that's been interesting, definitely. <laughs> and, I, and I take it when you talk about that, that's around the maybe faced with, as I say, probably you're, you know, someone that builds technology teams and, and you know, in these startups, it's always about moving fast, hiring quick, hiring fast. But I kind of get the sense of maybe that resistance or maybe skepticism from traditional insurance stakeholders when you're trying to introduce new technology driven features to help them go fast and ship and you know how is, is that kind of what you're referring to and if so you know how did you overcome those challenges and adapt to that kind of pace yeah uh, well yeah exactly that is one of the points is like but also the, all the reviews right uh, so all of the content, all of the different features, everything happening is actually like, well, very, very fast on, on our world with iterations of one week or two weeks iterations. Um, mm. They're much faster. So, for example, just reviewing the content of a web page that is in the front end is a process that can take um, several days or weeks, while for us developing that is a matter of, um, I don't know, it's some minutes or, or, or hours and it's life. <laughs> Uh, so you have to match these two worlds. And because uh, on the development, we put a lot of emphasis on on the speed, right? On being able to do things quickly. So all the, mm -hmm. you mentioned the hiring, but is, is the hiring, is the onboarding of the people, is how the teams are composed, is the methodology, is uh, the, how the development works, how things are prioritized, uh, how things are measured. Uh, all of that goes towards speed, basically. Is there, how do we do this thing very, very quickly? because we have to create quite a big platform. Um, there are some other companies out there, they already have platforms um, and we want to be better than they are. So that means that we have to be as much faster than they are at least, or we will never catch up. So if you put that world with the, with the validation, um, sometimes it's not that easy. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and I think as well that the challenge is probably not even from external, or, or maybe it, it does coincide. But one thing I was thinking is from someone like you coming in, you know, at the very beginning, um, maybe this has adapted over the last three, four years as the market's changed with COVID and people have probably become more reliant on your service because of the, you know, the premiums with the large incumbents that they end up paying. But from, again, going back to the technology um, perspective for you is that is, is coming and have to make these decisions around, for example, architectural and, and framework decisions, and in order to help best scale the product across the UK and Europe, you know, ensuring it remains secure, reliable, and you know, especially when you're dealing with customer data. Like, what have been the challenges for you there? How and, and what factors influenced your decision making on things like architecture and framework decisions? 
Well, that is a very good question. I think those change over time as the company matures. Um, mm. I think, um, so at the beginning, uh, when the company pivoted and started the home services and started basically testing again the market and so on. So it was already established on the market of uh, installation, installation of, of boilers mostly. Um, and then it changed. Uh, that meant um, changing completely the platform. So from, uh, yeah, an installation, which is a one-off that happens once every 10 years or 15 years per customer to a yeah. recurring, uh, well, it's a, it's a service that is recurring, right? Any problem a customer has, and then you basically go and solve it. Um, that has, yeah, again, huge, huge implications on the platform. So at the beginning, when you are testing, is more about uh, quickly validating the idea. It's, it's, it's kind of the startup thing, right? Let's validate the idea. Are, is this thing that we believe is a good business actually a good business? Is this actually a good idea? And actually, how do we do this? How do we service this thing? So at the beginning, it's a lot of testing and a lot of things. It's, it's about, again, super speed. Then you start scaling up. You start having more customers. Now people, more and more and more people rely on you, on your, on your services. We aim at being at the, at the best um, service uh, for our customers uh, with a very low cost. Well, if you want to do that, uh, you have to keep giving good service. Also, this, the customers are going to talk to each other, either online or not, or like, um, normal interactions. So if you want to have good reputation and you want to have a successful business, you actually have to give a proper, proper service. And in order to do that, then you have to start doing all of those things and put a lot of emphasis now into the resilience of the platform, into the stability of things, into the repeatability of, of that value that you are giving. You cannot just go and start breaking things all the time. Um, at the beginning, if let's imagine that you have a handful of customers, well, you can afford bringing things. If you know a customer has a problem once every six months or something like that, you can actually afford bringing things from time to time. When you start going into the multiple thousands, now customers, they accumulate and they have more and more problems. Now you cannot do things like that. And then obviously... Um, well, obviously, security is something that we always had in mind from the very beginning. It's not, I mean, these days everything is online. Someone has access to a database or whatever it is. That is extremely concerning. So we had always very, very good, um, well, we were very careful with, with security. But there are some other things that it was like, well, we can develop it in these two ways. One is the super scalable, amazing thing that is going to be amazing in five years. The other one, we can have it done today. And then we can scale it later. So we done, we, we, we've been uh, aiming for the second one. The, my mantra is always make it work first and then make it better. Don't try and do the perfect thing at the very beginning because um, you will find so many problems and so many walls and barriers and things that you didn't expect that is basically going to slow you down and put you in, basically will not... Uh, be developed at all or released uh, if you want to make it perfect. Also, things change over time. So um, what you believe it's perfect at the beginning is not perfect later. Market is different. 
your customers actually have different preferences after some time. So if you aim just for, let's imagine at the beginning, we said, okay, we want to go for the whole UK population is going to be our customer. Let's imagine that you have that in mind, right? Yeah. Well, what do you need in order to do that? Well, you need a database that is this size and a front end that is this thing. And then if you actually try and do that, you will probably run out of money and not actually have one single part actually done. It's, um, it's just too much. It's a, it's a massive thing. So it's very important that you are always measuring. And again, at the beginning, emphasis on, on speed, on very, very small things. And then you start scaling as you see that it's actually working. Mm. No, it's so interesting. Uh, I think just how it constantly changes, as you say, what you think is right in the beginning. Um, over time, you have to adapt and, and change very quickly. And of course, you know, in, in your industry, it's it changes very quickly, and you have to meet the, the standards from from the technology perspective around the, you know, the regulations and uh, and all the kind of very heavy compliance aspects. Um, so yeah. I don't envy your job. <laughs> um, well, it's actually quite interesting, to be honest. It keeps it uh, fun. <laughs> it, I mean, I, I like things that are actually like challenging and, and, and changing. So it's very, very fun. <laughs> yeah, no, I get that. Bored. As I say, I've known you a while. I know you you, you enjoy the, the kind of complex nature of, of innovation like myself. And and I guess just, you know, that piece is, is a great example of how you guys at Home Tree have managed to diversify into not just home insurance, but, you know, home energy and financial services, you know, really diversifying that portfolio as, as a result of, of these solutions. Yeah, that has been uh, quite quite a change, right? Uh, again, in this journey towards the, the decarbonization of the home. Um, mm. So how do, I, do you achieve that, basically? Uh, that was the question we had internally. How, how do we actually make it happen? Because yeah. um, because there are lots of barriers from the point of view of the customer. So today, the hardware um, is extremely expensive if you really want to do uh, net zero emissions. So it's, 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 it's just the customers are not really going to do it, the majority of them. Only the ones that are very, very into the, into the green environmental uh, movement, basically, and can afford it, which is not all of them. Um, so... One of the things is you need to scale to do that. Otherwise, you're going to be extremely expensive. Other thing is you need to give the customers an easy way of actually afford that. But also, mm. you have to not let them alone doing it. Because one of the things traditionally is um, if you are servicing uh, some elements, some heating elements, a boiler, and 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 that is beyond economical repair. It's basically, you, you cannot really fix that thing because end of life or it just had a, a huge problem or something and you actually want to change it. Um, traditionally, one of the things is, well, that's not really the business. So now, good luck finding someone. If you do that, the customer is really going to struggle and so on. And then it's not really going to be helpful because at the end of the day, the customer will straight go for, for exactly the same thing they, they have already. Um, it's also a very stressful moment for the customer. And things tend to break also in winter, when, especially the heating elements, when they are actually being heavily used. So it's the worst possible time to change all of the heating elements in a home. In a home. You cannot just go and change the boiler and the insulation and everything while 
uh, you don't have hot water and you cannot have a shower. It's, it's, it's really not the time to do it. So mm -hmm. our aim is to acquire that scale that allows us to have this machine that actually um, changes uh, the equipment um, and go into these other uh, parts, which is the installation. So we can start installing uh, more uh, all of the heat pump world, maybe solar. And so we are now addressing all of that uh, part and offering uh, the financing so customers can actually afford it. Um, there are different formulas that we've been uh, doing. Uh, customers are actually quite happy with it. Uh, it's going very, very well. Um, but again, that is the thing that actually unlocks it because otherwise you are kind of forced to just um, have more efficient of the same. So change a boiler for a boiler that is a little bit more efficient, but you are still in, the, in a similar situation, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it kind of led me on to my, my next question around how you guys are actually incorporating the, you know, when we talk about ESG initiatives and the insurance industry's responsibility, you know, as you touched on the, the green financing deal and the closing of the 46 million Series B round involving that acquisition of BWARM, you know, I was just going to ask how you guys incorporate those initiatives into the core of what Home Tree is doing, but I think you just, you know, you just answered it there perfectly. I mean, I guess to leading on from that, you know, the strategies or, or, or again, maybe technologies that you've implemented with your team, you know, what are those kind of strategies or technologies that you've implemented that will off the, off the front end of that enhance the user experience for customers navigating both the insurance cover and the, the decarbonization aspects of your platform? You know, how, what, what does that kind of look like? So, so we are the, we develop our own platform. Um, uh, so it's a CRM. So it's a customer relations uh, software, where we we have under control of the interactions with the customers, and that allows us uh, to first of all be very flexible and start uh, going into these other markets without the need of um, well changing third party software or so on. That is way more complicated. Than, than doing it yourself and much, much slower. Um, so yeah, what we do is, is, is develop this, um, which has also is a portal and so on. So it's a, it's a set of, of tools that allow the customers to interact with us um, digitally. Basically what we aim to have is only managed by exception. So only have uh, people managing the things that are outside of the ordinary. So when there is a problem or something that is um, not, not easily automatable, some, some exceptions, something that is not normal, let's say, then you need a human in there. You need a person that actually takes over because um, we are much better at doing that than machines. Uh, but the rest of the things, the things that are just repeatable, the things that are like straightforward, we automate all of those. So for example, uh, there is not a lot of value for the majority of the customers. For some of them, there is value on actually calling a phone, but for the majority of them, there is not a lot of value on calling on a phone and having a conversation and so on just to arrange um, the date for, for an engineer to visit the home. They actually prefer to do it in 10 seconds and through a portal. 
is a better experience for everybody. Uh, so that's something that obviously we we automate. The same thing for, goes for basically all of the customer journey, right? When the, the, the customer is, uh, well, from the registration, is uh, raising a, a claim, is, um, well, is tracking what's going on with this claim, uh, how are things going, when is the engineer coming, what has been the resolution, all of that information, that is all of the things that we automate. And that way, basically, we save a lot of the time for the, for the agents that are on the phones to actually focus on those things that are really necessary. There are also some people that just either cannot or are not willing to go into, into some digital uh, solution. Um, and we treat them uh, also very, I mean, we have a very personal approach to them. So uh, we can talk through, through the phone. Uh, and actually there are some other uh, solutions we can actually send people. But um, but again, the majority of the people, uh, they actually prefer an automated interaction. So that's where we focus. And then on expanding into these new arms, basically onto these new spaces and the financing and installation and putting everything together, um, the technology is the thing that allows it, that makes it possible. Uh, otherwise, it's, uh, it's just too many people. Imagine that you actually have to, to have, I don't know, hundreds of people on the phones, talking to each other that would be very difficult to manage so we build the systems that allow that with that basically we try not to scale linearly the, the amount of people with the customers so we actually become um well we are profitable and actually can scale uh towards the big big numbers yeah amazing that's um and yeah i think you're you're, you're totally right there's too many there's too many interactions that still um, in this space and in many other industries that require you to pick up a phone and, and sit on line for on the phone line for 30, 40 minutes to do something that takes, as you say, 10 seconds. Um, and it's just yeah. great to see, can I hear your explanation on how you automate that and, and completely reduce that time? Yeah, exactly. But it's important, sorry, just to say it again, it's important, it's like our goal is not to get rid of the humans. We believe that that is actually a very bad choice. It's not mm -hmm. a great idea to get rid of the people because again, uh, we are brilliant at managing those exceptions and a lot of the customers actually need or require that human touch. A lot of the people like really need to talk to someone and explain the problem. It's like, it's not something standard and so on. So we don't aim at just, it's not like this now AI thing that is like, oh, we are just going to cut 50% uh, of it. That is not our approach. We don't want yeah. to do that because the humans are still very, very, very necessary. Uh, so the humans, like everybody. Um, mm -hmm. So it's just about the thing we do, where we focus. And rather than those repetitive tasks that are not adding a lot of value for anybody involved, is to actually do those things that are with a lot of uh, value added. That's what we aim to do. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. Someone that's in recruitment, you know, we're asked every other day, you know, well, will there be a time where recruiters don't exist and because AI will, will take over our jobs and remove that human element. But um, I think just as you touched on, you know, that, that human element is always required at some point in, in most processes, you know, that EQ, something that the AI just, just can't replace. And, and as I say, I was just going to kind of switch lanes to get more your perspective on something in terms of, you know, the ESG movement that we're seeing, Home Tree or, you know, very much one of those companies, certainly in the UK and, and across Europe, you know, starting to, you know, see much more reach and 
you know, just from your perspective on working with such a forward-thinking company in that space, you know, what do you think are the responsibilities that a startup in this space should carry? You know, what, what do you think the main responsibilities are from companies that are spearheading this type of movement in the startup space? Well, that is an interesting question. Um... I guess it depends on the different startups and so on. From our point of view, I don't know what the rest of the people are doing, basically. But from our point of view, yeah. uh, there is the there is the vision. There is is the like nobody wants to breathe polluted air. Nobody wants to be in a place that is not nice and so on. Um, the climate change it, it changes very very quickly. We are not going to be able to adapt to it, and it's going to be very problematic. So actually, being part of the solution. Is, is something that that is a big motivation, is the main motivation of why we are here. Uh, so everything we do is with that in mind, is that we just arrange around that fact. And if we have to do that thing, we want to do it quickly, this is a massive problem. It's a huge scale problem. So, well, we just, again, work on it with, play our part, and so on. So what is the responsibility? Well, again, everything we do goes towards that objective. I assume that everybody will do the same thing, but our, according to our, uh, our thinking is, well, it's not that we alone are going to change massively the whole world, but if there are a few other companies like us, then actually the impact is going to be massive. We can change our part. We can do our little... I don't know, our little part, our little grain of sand, right? And then you put a lot of those together and actually you have a huge change. So, yeah, that's basically what we we prioritize rather than just, uh, I don't know, pure profitability or or the classics, uh, so on, which are important because we need to be sustainable. If we really want to make this thing happen, it has to be a sustainable business or we will just... Um, not make it to the end. And if we don't make it to the end, then that objective, well, we will not be helping anymore. So you have to be in these two kind of worlds together, right? With that in mind, but actually like making it possible, which means that you have a profitable business, a business that actually moves forward. Mm. And, and and where do you kind of see when you're trying to make these things possible? Where do you see the, the biggest waves of innovation right now i know you, you're always keeping up to date with the latest and greatest tech and of course like you know buzzword of the year in terms of ai is always going to be in there but do you kind of have an opinion on the, the biggest wave of innovation right now within for example insure tech you know are you seeing anything that you know is interesting well i think there are innovations in lots of different fronts so mm. You mean, and they are kind of different. So you have the innovations that are the pure digital thing, all of the AI and all of that. I think that is actually going to be super useful. It's uh, It has amazing benefits. We are already um, implementing some some things and, and it's the impact is, is massive. Uh, we can go into a little bit more detail later, I guess. There is also innovation in the technology of the of the hardware, for example. So things that were just didn't exist some years ago or, or they were not very performant and actually today are very good, like all of the sonar, solar revolution, all of the heat pumps, um, all of that uh, new technology um, 
well, it didn't exist 20 years ago or 30 years ago. Well, it did, but like maybe was not really uh, that performant. Um, but today is a reality. Um, and then there are some other innovations on the businesses, on the on what you said, on those alliances or partnerships between different businesses, different business models, uh, different ways of, of making it possible for a customer to actually move forward. Like, for example, what, what we are exploring that is all of the, well, exploring and actually it's a product like, that is working very well. When we do all of the financing uh, for the for the customers, we acquire a company called uh, Bigworm. Um, we are we are actually we've been working with them for quite some time, and what they are offering, uh, or they were offering, and now we are offering is um, basically hitting as a service at the end of the day, where you pay a monthly a monthly subscription, and what you get is the is the hit. But you don't have to worry about the equipment. You don't have to worry about um, any repairs, or you don't have to worry about any of that. Um, you want to be warm at home. You don't have. You don't want to be repairing things, or, or things. and customers actually love it. Um, that didn't exist some years ago. That kind of innovation is 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 making. Well, it's bringing it to the people. It's, it's making. Um, possible something that uh, before was impossible so equipment that is on the order of uh, multiple thousands of pounds um, now is affordable for people that before just didn't consider it and went to the common uh, common solution the, the one that they know the classic uh, boiler uh, with gas um, and that's it yeah. it's really interesting well, thank you for that I think it's just just always good to get you know, someone like your perspective on what you think is coming up next and, and obviously what's, what you're currently doing at the moment, you know, the B-Warm acquisition is a, a great example of that, you know, heating as a service. But I think um, just kind of moving on um, into changing lanes a little bit into the advantages of, I guess, the, the types of companies that you've mainly been involved in. I know you've had some experience in larger incumbents, but by and large, you know, your experience is startups, you know, helping scale, you know, you and I have talked before, again, off camera, and the, the kind of the things that we're seeing in the space, you know, the advantage that startups have in the market right now um, in terms of the mass amount of layoffs. Um, you know, in your opinion, over the last kind of 18 months, you know, how do you feel like the talent market has evolved? Uh, you know, have you noticed any significant shifts in, in the availability or, or quality of talent? Because, you know, as you guys grow and you have that acquisition, I'm sure that's probably part of your guys' strategy, right, potentially growing, um, or maybe not, but just kind of wanted to get your perspective on that, you know, over what you've seen in the last 18 months. On the talent play, uh, I think, but well, I'm going to answer from the point of view of uh, development, developers, that's the one I, yeah, I know the best. Um, and it is the opposite thing that was maybe 18 years 18 months ago it's um it's been a it's been a huge change so well we see all of these tech big tech companies uh with massive uh layoffs uh, thousands and thousands of people um that was not the case one year and a half ago or two years ago uh, while everybody was working on remote and tech was the was the big thing. Um, so that had, well, 
great implications. I believe now um, there is plenty of available plan uh, talent. Um, I think, well, there was a lot of that. It's, it's, it's a difficult thing because at the end of the day, there were a lot of people that were uh, coming into the computer world, let's say, or the digital world in the last two years. Um, and now they are struggling uh, to find jobs and so on. Seems like it's a very good market for senior people, for people that have been around for, for a long time. Uh, seems that for more junior people, um, it's more complicated. Uh, because now I'll, most of the companies are in the cost, the cutting the costs you know, mentality. Um, mm -hmm. So what I'm seeing is that if people hire someone, they hire someone with a clear return of investment, with a yeah. clear business case for that hire. Um, there's not so much about less hire because we know we are going to keep expanding. We know we are going to grow and scale. So we need people. It's better to start training them early and then so on. And um, I don't see that happening that much any anymore. Um, mm. Yeah, no, I think... Um... I think it was just something you and I again spoke about, you know, in those layoffs coming from multitude of companies, you know, seeing a lot of big tech layoffs from, you know, Google to Amazon, etc. And, and, you know, as you say, maybe trying to get more of a return on investment from the hires that they make. But yeah. I think you know, we're quite agreed on that transition coming from larger companies, you know, can they adapt to the, the startup world? And, yeah. Well, that is a very interesting one. Um, and I think it's difficult. I mean, um, I've seen it many times uh, where mm -hmm. in small small startups or startups that are at the beginning, as I've been mentioning, it's about the speed, it's about getting things done, it's about moving very, very quickly and so on. Um, that is very difficult to, to do for someone that has been involved in a company with uh, with a lot of people, with a lot of process, with things very established, lots of policies, lots of uh, different layers of management and and all of that. Um, so it's uh, I, I tend to find people that that find it very exciting, uh, and it's like, yeah, 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 I'm willing to go on that. But it's not that easy. Um, some people really, really struggle with it. Uh, that has been a surprise for me. I I've always been in kind of this environment. So for me, I like it. I like the flexibility. I like the possibility of doing a thousand things in a single day. Uh, and they are unrelated or in different aspects. Um, but what I've seen is that people tend to like that thought and, and then the reality feels to them, or the feedback I got is that it feels like there is no structure here. There is no, there is nothing, there is no certainty at the end. I mean, I believe humans, we have this thing that's uncertainty is, is difficult to manage. Uh, uncertainty is, is, is not it's not comfortable uh, so coming from a place where everything is established and everything is clear um, to a place where it's constantly evolving and we make our own rules as we go um, it's a big change so yeah. so yeah I don't know because uh, even with even with big companies with uh, the big tech companies that consider themselves uh, startups they have thousands of employees already. They already have quite a big um, process, quite a big uh, structure already created. 
they really struggle coming to very small startups. Um, mm. yeah. My personal view is actually easier to do it the other way around. It's a little bit easier to go from the creating the processes and going bigger and bigger and bigger progressively than actually removing uh, that layer. Uh, some people are brilliant doing it. I don't, I'm not saying it's impossible. Yeah, yeah, it's case by case, isn't it? You know, but yeah. I think you and I are, you know, in the startup world is very, um, don't see the transition happen too often. Um, but, you know, obviously that's just their own experiences. And, um, you know, I think you kind of touched on, I guess, that available talent, how you're seeing teams kind of go the opposite way almost, whereby they're really not taking advantage of what's out there and really seeing that still concentration on capital in terms of investing in other aspects other than just hiring more people. And, you know, I'm finding certainly that teams are moving way, in software engineering terms, that is, you know, I'm finding teams going way more leaner. Um, yeah. I think, you know, someone at home for your team's pretty lean considering what you guys have achieved. Like, how do you strike a balance between maintaining a, you know, a lean team, but also addressing the, the growing demands of a scaling company? I'm sure there'll be some other founders and, and technology leaders and startups that, you know, that's probably a question that burns on their mind quite a lot. You know, you know, are there any indicators or milestones that trigger the need for, you know, team expansion or, you know, what's your kind of take on that? Yeah, well, that is, um, that's, uh, that's a tricky thing. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, you have to play with the cards that you have and then detect uh, what are, um, basically, what are your limitations and try to work around them. In, in terms of resources, for example, it's, it's a clear one. Is that what do we have? Where do we want to go? What do we need? How do we make it, basically? Um, it's difficult to estimate all of these things. But so we have some principles in mind. First of all is we always try to be as lean as possible. Um, we are not a big corporation or company, especially like it used to be, uh, as we were talking before, where it's like, okay, let's just hire quite a lot of people and then leaders will emerge and then excellent people will emerge and so on. Uh, yeah, we could not do that. Um, we are a company that is backed by venture capital, which means that we have a... We have good finances, but it's not an infinite amount of money, of supply of money. So you have to work around that. On the how do you know when you know when you need more people? Well, what we do basically is um, we have business case at the end. It's like we need to. We have some projects. We have some um, some initiatives, uh, longer term, some shorter term, and it's like so. What do we want to achieve and how are we going to get there? Uh, how long will it take? At the end of the day, the amount of people for me is kind of the... First of all, it doesn't scale linearly, so that's important. I think kind of most of the people know that these days, but like it's better to, from my point of view, I prefer to have many small teams, small units. So for me, the magic number is six. So don't go over mm -hmm. six people in a team if you can avoid it. Um, that is six people is when it's maximum performance. And then it's about how you organize them. Um, and then it's about, so how many kind of verticals do we have in here? So those teams don't have to, to class all the time. So avoid having those uh, different teams depending on each other. And then if you have different verticals and you have a new one, then, well, you have the opportunity of, of hiring there. But at the end of the day, the amount of people is a, is the, is the power of your engine 
is uh, if you want to go faster, you need more people. If you are okay with the current pace, stay like it is. And then it's a, it's a function of the resources that you have. Um, and also depend on the how the well how the environment is and all of that. Because even if suddenly you have hundred uh, new developers, you are not going to be able to change the environment. I don't know if that makes uh, sense or not. I can go yeah. into details if you want, but um... no, actually, I'm just conscious of the, your time there, and I think um, I think that's just a really nice place to kind of probably leave it. To be honest, I think the importance of team culture and and lean engineering teams that that are high performing and you know, I just really like that kind of piece around six being the magic number. So yeah, like exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's say just just one thing is like we put yeah. more emphasis, or at least me personally, I put way more emphasis on having a very high performance uh, small group of engineers, of people, than putting a lot of emphasis on hiring more people and making a bigger team uh, with the promise of being more performant later. So it is more important to to focus on and actually making it very, very performant now. That's what we've been doing traditionally. That's why we have a lean team that has been scaling uh, reasonably uh, and has been able to, well, to do quite a lot of things over these years. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, great piece to finish on, I think. But um, Alejandro, it's been it's been great to have you on. Thank you for your time. And um, yeah. Thank you very much, Gavin. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.